This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's hard to believe it's only been 12 weeks since Boris Johnson left Downing Street. Every Prime Minister's last act in office is to choose a final list of people to elevate to the House of Lords, Parliament's second chamber. And Boris Johnson's resignation honours are already kicking up a storm. The Prime Minister's judgment is already in tatters. If he has any integrity left, will he now put a stop to these two predecessors stuffing the House of Lords with his cronies. Mr Speaker, I'm obviously not going to comment on speculation around such lists. Any list would, of course, follow the normal procedures and processes that are in place. The Times has learned that Boris Johnson has nominated two former advisers who would become the youngest ever life peers in history. Could Boris Johnson's controversial appointments put him on a collision course with Rishi Sunak? And could calls for reform end up with the Lords being abolished altogether? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, is the House of Lords beyond fixing? I'm Lara Spirit and I'm the Red Box reporter at The Times over in the Houses of Parliament. I help put together our morning briefing on what's been going on within the Palace of of Westminster. And Lara, we're here to talk about Boris Johnson's resignation honours list and the controversy that's been sparked by that. But for some, this wasn't even his most controversial list of potential peers. Take us back to July 2020. Just remind us of who popped up on the list back then. Of course. Well, I think it's it's important to note first that it's not a new thing to find the honours lists of prime ministers to be the subject of controversy. You need only look all the way back to David Lloyd George, but also to Harold Wilson and his infamous so-called lavender list to remember that the kind of appointment of peers by prime ministers has long been a source of contention. 
you saying that the list, the resignation list, was appalling because it included the wrong kind of people to be in a socialist prime minister's uh, resignation list, or because some of the knighthoods and peerages appeared to be given, uh, in your view, for reasons which disturbed you? What I'm arguing is that the question of the disbursement of patronage through the honours list should be taken away from the prime minister altogether. Boris Johnson is no exception to that. And as you make reference to back in July 2020, there was this list of 36 life peerage nominations, one of them being Evgeny Lebedev, now Lord Lebedev, son of a former KGB officer, a well-known Tory donor and newspaper man. He's the owner of the Evening Standard, among other business interests and well-known for his parties. Lebdev, I think, partly raised eyebrows because a kind of known friend of Boris Johnson. So it played into that narrative that the system of awarding life peerages was in some way connected to the appointment of friends. Although, of course, as we've said, Boris Johnson, not the only prime minister that's been accused of doing likewise. But also there had been potential security concerns that had been raised about Lord Lebedev. So I asked the deputy prime minister... Can he guarantee that the Prime Minister never asked anyone to urge the security services to revise, reconsider or withdraw their assessment of Lord Lebedev of Hampton and Siberia? Deputy Prime Minister. The the suggestion she's making is sheer nonsense. And this is an issue which is ongoing, the reporting of which is still continuing. This was controversial at the time, but it became particularly newsworthy and well covered a few years later in 22 with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And shortly after that, these stories that Boris Johnson had reportedly been warned about supposed security concerns that surrounded the appointment of Lord Lebedev to the Lords. And I think in that vein, this has been one of those appointments that sort of hung over the, the question of the Lords appointments process since. And then a few months later, after the outcry about Evgeny Lebedev being on the list. Know ye that we of our especial grace... Donned the ermine. He's walking into the House of Lords for the first time. ...of Baron Lebedev, of Hampton in our London borough of Richmond-upon-Thames, and of Siberia in the Russian Federation. You know, when he's actually being appointed... I, Evgeny Lord Lebedev, do solemnly, sincerely and truly declare and affirm... A new list is published, and it's just as controversial. Yeah, so this was in December 2020 when it was announced that a life peerage would be conferred on Peter Cruddus, now Baron Cruddus. I, Peter Lord Cruddus, do swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to... Well-known Conservative Party donor after Boris Johnson nominated him. So help me God. Now, the reason this was interesting was because it happened despite reportedly the contrary advice of the House of Lords Appointment Commission, which had apparently unanimously recommended that this nomination not be issued. What do you think is a suitable amount for us to give to? Minimum of 100 grand a year, minimum. The Conservative Party fundraiser Peter Cruddas thought he was talking to a couple of wealth fund managers anxious to establish close links with the British Prime Minister. And in fact, some of our bigger donors have been for dinner in number 10 Downing Street. Peter Crudders resigned almost immediately. I deeply regret any impression of impropriety arising from my bluster in the conversation. Clearly, there's no question of donors being able to influence policy or gain undue access to politicians. 
It was one of the first instances in which the questions around what the role and the mandate of the House of Lords Appointment Commission was, because it was a notable example where the advice hadn't been heeded. What is the role of the House of Lords Appointments Commission? And how, how seriously is it taken? So the House of Lords Appointment Commission was set up by Tony Blair as part of that package of reforms that came in in 1999, part of which was the slimming down of the number of hereditary peers in the House of Lords. And, how, and what the House of Lords Appointment Commission does, it's a public non-departmental body. So it's not on a statutory footing, but it's a collection of peers who will look at the names that have been proposed by a prime minister and it will basically vet them and issue advice to the prime minister on whether or not those individuals merit the appointment to the House of Lords. Now, the interesting thing about the House of Lords Appointment Commission, and one of the reasons why it's been the subject of such debate in the House of Lords recently, most notably with this new private members bill proposed by Lord Norton, is that it can only vet individuals on the grounds of propriety. So it can't vet them on whether or not they're suitable candidates. And the fundamental thing about the advice that's issued by the House of Lords Appointment Commission is that it's advisory. So the Prime Minister of the day is under no obligation whatsoever to actually heed that advice. And because the advice is not routinely published, it's not necessarily a hugely difficult thing to imagine a Prime Minister doing. So basically, with this commission, they offer the advice that's usually followed by Prime Ministers, but they don't have to. And it's not they're not looking at competence to be in the House of Lords. They're basically offering up a smell test. Is this doesn't <laughs> will, will it will it smell whiffy if this person makes it in? Will people Scrub their noses and think this this can't be right. <laughs> That's basically yeah. it. <laughs> it's yeah, it's interesting. And one of the things that Lord Norton proposed in this members' bill that won't be adopted because the government have signalled that they won't support it, but was this idea of so-called conspicuous merit as this test for whether or not you should be able to be in the Lords. The basis of which was basically that as currently constituted, the House of Lords Appointment Commission can't make any judgment really on whether or not they think people are good or bad. It can just make a judgment on whether or not they're proper or improper, so to speak. Well, we'll we'll come back to some of the recommendations that are popping up about what we do about the House of Lords in, in a few minutes. But it's a slightly bizarre convention that every prime minister gets to make appointments when they resign. So even though they're leaving power, their lasting impact goes on for years. Let's just talk about who's actually on Boris Johnson's resignation list. Who has he nominated? So Boris Johnson's list includes more than a dozen individuals. And there are some interesting names on that. You've got former aides, including two pretty young aides who are set to become the youngest members of the chamber. Ross Kempsell, a former journalist who'd recently stepped down as the Conservative Party's political director. He's destined for the Lords. Charlotte Owen, who graduated from university in 2015, uh, had been a parliamentary assistant to Sir Jake Berry, but had later worked jointly for Liz Truss and Wendy Morton, the former chief whip in parliament. Now, joining them in a break, with convention would be for sitting MPs. And I think this is probably the most interesting thing about Boris Johnson's resignation honours list, which is that the former cabinet ministers, Nadine Dorries, Nigel Adams uh, and Alok Sharma are on the list, as well as a current cabinet minister in the form of Alistair Jack, the current Scottish secretary, who's also on the list. Now, there are others on there, like the Tees Valley Mayor, Ben Howshin, Sean Bailey, the former Tory mayoral candidate, David Ross, the multimillionaire Tory donor and Carphone Warehouse co-founder. But I think those four MPs present a kind of original quality about Boris Johnson's list, because we've never had a situation where sitting MPs have been nominated on an outgoing resignation on his list by a prime minister. 
And just explain to us why that matters. So the reason that this is interesting is because there's no constitutional precedent to suggest what happens next. So ostensibly, these four MPs have been nominated to the House of Lords. Now, do they become peers immediately? They're sitting MPs. And what they've signalled is that they intend not to step down and trigger by-elections, but to hold on to their seats in the House of Commons and defer their peerages until the general election, when they will then go to the House of Lords. This is a pretty controversial idea in the Lords. The government themselves, when asked about whether they'd be recommending this arrangement of deferred peerages, which is without constitutional precedent, said that it's a common law principle that you can't be members of both houses. Now, there are precedents for delaying your peerage. So if you think about Baroness Davidson, who was an MSP, so a member of the Scottish Parliament, she did defer. But there's no precedent of a sitting MP deferring. And when you talk to a number of peers, including Lord Norton, who is a kind of constitutional expert and conservative peer, he says that it's not necessarily unconstitutional, but it does amount to an extension of prime ministerial patronage if we have a situation where you're able to award a peerage, but with an expectation that it is taken up at a later date. And this is interesting because, as we've said, the power to award peerages belongs to the Prime Minister alone. And the reason that's interesting is because the Prime Minister is no longer Boris Johnson, right? It's Rishi Sunak. And Rishi Sunak now has to decide what he's going to do because he's been handed a constitutionally complicated situation and will be seeking advice about what he's going to do. Now, I reported that he's considering blocking those nominations and will be considering what the implications of letting those deferred peerages take place will be. Now, if he doesn't block them, then he may be accused of dragging the king into politics. But if he does block them, then he will no doubt rouse ire from Boris Johnsonites on his back benches and probably reignite a level of Tory division that he really has hoped to put to bed. So I think it's fair to say that this question presents no easy choice, really. So interesting. And so he's potentially thinking of vetoing certainly the the four sitting MPs. Do we know if he's thinking of vetoing anybody else on that list? You know, as you mentioned, there are some very young candidates, for example. People might remember Ross Kempsell, who became a very trusted advisor to Boris Johnson, but they might remember him from his time at Talk Radio, where he he did the famous interview with Boris Johnson before the last election, in which Boris Johnson talked about painting buses. What do you do to relax? What do you do to switch off? Uh, I, I, well, I like to paint. Um, oh, I make things. I like to... What do you make? I make... I have a thing where I make models of... I mean, when I was in London, well, Mayor of London, we build a beautiful... I make buses. They might also remember him from, from this podcast, which he, he, he presented in the past. But just tell us a bit about sort of some of those, the, the other people on the list, some, some of those young, young special advisors. And are they proving to be just as controversial? Will, will Rishi Sunak be looking at whether those appointments should be going through? When I've spoken to Tory MPs around Parliament since we revealed the contents of this list, that the age of Ross Kempsell and Charlotte Owen, those two aides set to become the youngest in the chamber, those two raise probably more eyebrows than some of the other appointments when you speak to Tory MPs. But it is a long-standing convention that a Prime Minister waves through the appointments of their predecessor. And in the case of the four sitting MPs, you can see a situation where it is constitutionally defensible, perhaps, to block them. In the case of Ross Kempsell and Charlotte Owen, I can't really see a situation where 
Rishi Sunak does not waive their appointments through. And I could imagine it being extremely controversial if he didn't. And has Boris Johnson explained at all why he thinks these people should be in the Lords? So this is another interesting thing about the appointments process. With other honours, you sometimes see a little explanation for why it is that so-and-so has been nominated for this honour. We don't have that with the House of Lords. And I think one of the things a number of peers are sort of clamouring for is a sense by which there's a justification for the appointments that are made, a sort of public explanation for it, and communicate to the public why it is that these individuals are set for life membership of, of a legislative chamber in our country. So true, because, yep, of course, we'll all know that, you know, when lists of OBEs, for example, come out, it'll say for services to Mm. their community or fundraising. And yet when you get voting rights in the legislature, when you get to be in the second chamber in the House of Lords, we don't really know why people are there. We don't know why they're being appointed. Exactly. What are people in the House of Lords saying about this resignation list? How is it going down there? So I think it's fair to say that the sitting MPs aspect of the list has been the most controversial with the peers. Lord Cormac said his list showed a cavalier disregard for the constitution or was at risk of doing so. And Baroness Smith of Basildon, who's the shadow leader of the House of Lords, has urged the Prime Minister to block those appointments. She said, you know, the Prime Minister could stop this in his tracks, will he? Lord Blunkett, the former Labour cabinet minister, described the move as a constitutional outrage. So in that respect, I think it's fair to say that peers aren't mincing their words. Mm. But in other respects, there's been some levity. And this is one of the reasons why I love sitting in the House of Lords, because there are some just perfectly delivered lines. We heard from Lord Forsyth, who's the Conservative peer who stood up and asked whether it was akin to Caligula and that's the former Roman emperor. When uh, Caligula appointed his horse as a consul, (laughs) it was in order to discredit the institution. Is there not a danger that this is happening here? (laughs) To which there were a lot of knowing laughs in the chamber (laughs) and it was interesting. It was funny at the time and then two days later Lord Kerr, the former diplomat, stood up and said I was shocked because the analogy is so wholly inappropriate. The horse, in citatus, never made it to the Senate because Caligula was assassinated. Here we've had the assassination and it seems we'll still get the horse. Which was very funny, but belies what was a very serious debate, of course, and I think it will contribute to Rishi Sunak's decision process when he thinks about how to deal with this very delicate constitutional question. Coming up, is the Caligula effect kicking in? Is the institution discredited beyond hope? And could all of this lead to a major reform of the House of Lords? That's after a quick message from a colleague. I'm Tim Shipman, the chief political commentator of the Sunday Times. Um, Writing about British politics is part therapy, it's part investigation, and it's part comedy. And as Dr. Johnson didn't quite say, if you're tired of British politics, you're tired of life. And I'm not tired of life. But we can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hold up. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We very rarely hear from the House of Lords unless it's about the controversy over new appointments or on those rare occasions every couple of years when, you know, they'll sit all night and stop a piece of legislation going through and it's, you know, suddenly everybody's watching the Lords again. But because we don't talk about it as much, just step back and, and remind us of who actually sits in the House of Lords. I mean, just for, for most of us, because we don't follow it quite so closely, just remind us of the composition so there's just under 800 sitting members of the House of Lords. Now, not all of them take a party whip. Over 500 of them take a party whip, 267 of them conservatives. You have crossbenchers, so people who aren't affiliated with a party who sit there. You have bishops. You have 25 bishops there too. Now, the average age is 71. It's not a particularly youthful chamber, but that is partly because of the function that we hope that it performs. So the idea is that quite a lot of those people will come to the House of Lords who will have had long and successful careers in various different fields. So they will have different things that they can bring to the chamber and kind of help in different ways to revise and amend legislation. 800 does sound like a hell of a lot. Yes. So it's the second largest legislative chamber in the world, second only to the Chinese Congress. So with just shy of 800 members, you're right that it is a very big chamber. And how do people get appointed to the Lords? So either you're appointed by the House of Lords Appointment Commission, that body that was established in 2000. Now, that's separate from the House of Lords, but it is that kind of independent vetting body that we've talked about. And they also vet nominations for life peers that have been recommended by prime ministers and by political parties. So I think it's fair to say that if you are good friends with the prime minister, you have a much better chance of making it into the Lords than you might necessarily have via the House of Lords Appointment Commission. But you can apply to the House of Lords Appointment Commission at the time when it was set up. There was quite a lot of fanfare around this idea that we would be seeing a kind of greater influx of non-party political life peers with great experience who were seemingly unassociated with Westminster and its ways but would come and have this kind of great grandee role over improving legislation. Now, I think it's fair to say that that hasn't necessarily happened that much yet, partly mm. because the Commission is reportedly a bit more mindful of the stated objective of the House of Lords, which is actually not to increase their size but actually to decrease it. So you, you can put yourself forward... It obviously helps if you're a friend of a prime minister or or potentially a bishop. <laughs> that's, that's the other way in. Um, who else sits in the House of Lords? So you also have hereditary peers. One of the most interesting things I think about Tony Blair's first government was its immediate desire to see large-scale Lords reform. A bill will be introduced to remove the right of hereditary peers to sit and vote in the House of Lords. And it was one of the 
most difficult things that Tony Blair was grappling with was how can we get the number of hereditary peers down? And in the end, there was that compromise. They didn't abolish hereditary peers. Now, they used to be greater in number, but as a result of the House of Lords Act in 1999, that was reduced to 91. Now, hereditary peers, they're the peers where they're not created by a prime minister, you inherit them. So that did change the feel and indeed the composition of the House of Lords. And since those reforms in in the Blair era, you know, we've been talking about some of Boris Johnson's controversial appointments, but it's been a it's been a regular problem and it's not just conservative prime ministers who who've had it. I mean, just remind us about Tony Blair himself in fact, who ran into quite a bit of trouble over some of his appointments. So Lord Levy, I think one of the more memorable appointments made by Tony Blair, obviously a key fundraiser for Tony Blair when he was prime minister. Is there corruption at the heart of government? Can rich men simply buy not just a title, but a seat in the upper house of Britain's legislature? And Lord Levy was known as a fundraiser extraordinaire. And you suddenly had the cash for peerages scandal. Lord Levy has been arrested and questioned by the police in what's become known as the Loans for Peerages scandal. Breaking news tonight, the BBC understands there will be no charges in the Cash for Honours inquiry. Is that something that hasn't quite gone away? So it's interesting that in 2021, the Sunday Times found that everybody who'd given more than £3 million to the Conservative Party was honoured with a peerage. Now, Baroness Wheatcroft said this last week to the Lords, gave that example and said, it is always useful to know the price. And there were a number of peers, I think it's fair to say, who laughed at that in the chamber. So I don't think it's ever gone away, this suspicion that there's a connection between the two. And I don't think it's going to go away so long as the current system is in place either, really. And Lara, where does all of this go next? Because, you know, we're, we're middle of the controversy around Boris Johnson's resignation list, but presumably before long we'll be talking about Liz Truss's. Yes. Now, we don't know the contents of that. It was suggested that initially there were going to be AIDS political allies on that list. It was then suggested that it would be a very slim, small list that had kind of focused on honouring Norfolk heroes or, so, or, you know, so was reported. But we don't really know the shape of, of that list or indeed how large it will be. I think the most interesting thing will be whether Rishi Sunak chooses to wave through all of Boris Johnson's nominations as is convention and precedent or whether he chooses to break with a different precedent around sitting MPs and choose to selectively block some of those nominations. So those are the interesting questions. Now, the other interesting questions is what's the role of the Labour Party in this? We've seen that uh, Labour have put forward some of their own proposals on how to reform the House of Lords. We recently saw that Sir Keir Starmer was thinking of abolishing the upper chamber altogether in favour of, of of an elected one instead. Now, that was uh, very interesting because I think part would be part of a consultation in the first Labour government, but we, we definitely would see, I think, uh, some reforms on how appointments work, or at least that's what we've been promised, uh, should Sir Keir Starmer win, as the polls suggest that he will in a couple of years. So Labour's role on that uh, on that will be interesting to watch too. Of course, they've been among the most vociferous critics of some of Boris Johnson's appointments, particularly that of Lord Lebedev. So it'll be interesting to see how they respond to the coming appointments too. What do we know about Labour's proposals? What What would they do? So Labour's answer to Lords reform, as has been revealed in the Observer, seems to be to actually abolish the Lords altogether and replace it with a democratically elected upper chamber. 
Well, I think it's time to democratise the House of Lords, to bring it into the 21st century. So there will be proposals coming forward from a commission that we have launched, but we will be consulting on what that looks like. And we need now, Labour say they want to end the appointment of lackeys and donors to that legislature. I think it will probably signal that we'll see some quite considerable reform to the appointments process in a first Labour term. Now, obviously, it's quite a red button answer to say you'll abolish the Lords altogether. And if you read between the lines, I think you will have noticed that there'd be a consultation on that in a first Labour government. So I think it's fair to say that we're not going to see Keir Starmer enter Downing Street and immediately wave goodbye to the House of Lords Mm. altogether. But I think it signals that Labour are taking very seriously the idea that there would need to be radical reform to the House of Lords and abolishing the Lords altogether, I think, is a signal that this is going to be something like it was in the early days of Tony Blair's government that, that an incoming Labour government would take very seriously indeed. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times Red Box reporter, Lara Spirit. You can find all of Lara's work at thetimes.co.uk or subscribe to the Red Box morning email. The producer today was James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.